This is the History of the World podcast with me, Chris Hasler. And this is the History of the World podcast, unscripted. Welcome once again to a History of the World podcast unscripted episode. In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at the Mitanni Kingdom, a kingdom that didn't get its own episode, it was rather short-lived, but still quite an important, influential and interesting kingdom that emerged before the Late Bronze Age collapse and after the emergence of such societies such as Assyria, Babylonia and the Hittites. So we're going to take a closer look. Who are they? Where did they come from? What on earth happened that they suddenly just emerged and became one of the greatest civilizations of that era and then suddenly very much disappeared? We're going to take a closer look. Now, just to let you know what's really going on, so the History of the World podcast is currently on a break between volumes, so just a few weeks ago we finished volume two on the ancient world, so we wrapped it up, 37 episodes, all done and dusted, put to bed and in the past. So now what we're looking at is the preparations for volume three, which is the classical world. We're going to be starting by looking at cultures such as the Persians before opening it up and exploring the Greek cultures and the Roman cultures. It's going to be extremely interesting. But in the meantime, while we're preparing between volumes, we're going to do some unscripted episodes just so the podcast doesn't fall asleep and get forgotten about. So we're just putting out some very brief episodes in order to keep you entertained and let you know the latest news about when the next volume of podcasts is going to start. So we're going to have a brief overview of the Mitanni Kingdom to try and tie up a few little loose ends and this is the first time we've really concentrated on the Mitanni directly. It's otherwise been mentioned as a part of the episode on the Hittites as as a part of the episode on the Assyrians Now we're just going to take a closer look. So it's not a scripted episode, but we just want to fill in some gaps. Now, if we want to talk about the Mitanni, we have to go back in time to a time when the Yamhad kingdom existed. Now, the Yamhad just existed to the south of the early Hittite empire. So when the Hittites finally started becoming... Um, a serious player in Near East politics, the Yamhad were to their south, blocking the lands of the Levant from Hittite territory. Now, it all started kicking off in around 1595, if you remember, the Hittite king the I would travel down the Euphrates River and sack Babylon. So it was like a very out-of-the-ordinary sort of almost like a trek down the river to Babylon where they would sack the capital and loot it. But however, they wouldn't want to occupy it. Ultimately, it would be the Kassites that would come in and 
uh, occupy Babylon, the ruined city of Babylon, as the Hittites left it. And uh, the only way that the Hittites could do this would be to venture through Yamhad land. So in the preceding years, before they did venture down to Babylon, the Hittites did make an absolute nuisance of itself in the Yamhad lands. Now these events were quite significant in terms of the birth of the Mitanni. What we have seen is that the Hittites were prepared to travel 2,000 kilometres down the Euphrates to sack Babylon. And the big question is why? Why on earth go to this trouble to sack Babylon? It wasn't as if Babylon was a threat to Hittite lands or anything like that. So there was, there didn't seem to be any real political reason for the attack. But maybe it was just um, trying to get some wealth out of the Babylonian Empire, the Babylonian Kingdom. And um, who knows? It's just really it'd be interesting if uh, any more excavations or artifacts are dug up that give us more clues. Um, my favourite theory has to be the theory of the eruption of the volcano on Thera, which we mentioned when we were discussing the Minoans and the Mycenaeans as the catalyst that changed the balance of power in the Aegean Sea from the Minoans to the Mycenaeans. So Thera would have had a larger impact on the world around it and the Hittites and the Assyrians, two of the most dominant kingdoms or empires of that era, were curbed in their expansion. So they did stop expanding and they sort of went into a lull really. The Hittites stopped trading in uh, copper and tin as much and started experimenting with iron and the Assyrian Empire, which had been well established by this time, really didn't expand anymore. Maybe it was a desperate need for resources is the reason why the Hittites went down the river. But in order to get down the river, they would have had to have crossed into Yamhad lands. So it was essential that Yamhad was conquered and Mercerly did just that. So there existed some sort of power vacuum in the Yamhad kingdom and the Hurrian people uh, would move into that void. And these are the most significant people in the story, the Hurrians, because it would be the Hurrians in the eastern half of the Yamhad kingdom, the former Yamhad kingdom, that would become the Mitanni. Now then, the Hurrians were not Indo-Europeans, which might be a bit confusing for some who view the Mitanni as an Indo-Iranian empire. And we have to be careful here because the elite class and the, if you like, the official language of the Mitanni was a form of Indo-Iranian language. However, the everyday speech of people, the colloquial language, uh, the language of the people was very much Hurrian and they would speak Hurrian, which is not an Indo-European language. Now, the slightly annoying thing about the Mitanni Kingdom is that we don't have anything really in terms of Mitanni documents, anything that was written by the Mitanni. 
the only uh, reference we have to the Mitanni is by foreign countries such as the Hittites and the Assyrians and indeed the Egyptians who were quite closely allied to the Mitanni when they first emerged. And this would make sense because the Egyptians would be quite happy to oppose the Hittites who were the who were the sort of the threat to their Levantine ambitions. So having an alliance with the Mitanni was probably a very good thing for the Egyptians. So the Mitanni influence would slowly creep eastwards towards the Assyrian heartlands, which uh, at the time Assyria was very much um, located around its key cities. It was no by no means a, a vast kingdom or an empire like we would see in the future. It was a very small area. In around 1500, the Mitanni would push westwards as this would be quite an important advance. It would be the lands of the northern Levant, so around the city of Ugarit, what would become Ugarit, and um, that would have provided the Mitanni with a vital link to the Mediterranean Sea. So vital trade opportunities were opened up by that move. And also they would be now a buffer between Egypt and the Hittites, so that would represent a very strong position. So there we have the establishment of the Mitanni kingdom, and very interestingly, the Egyptians under their pharaoh Thutmose III actually had ambitions now in the Levant, and it suited them really to not be allied with the Mitanni any longer. Thutmose wanted to expand his empire and he did so and it culminated at the Battle of Megiddo where he was trying to deal with a rather rebellious king of Kadesh who uh, along with some local kings and rulers was stirring up a bit of trouble. But when King uh, or Pharaoh Thutmose I should say of Egypt uh, made his way into the Levant and tried to deal with the problem. The uh, the the Mitanni actually sided with the rebels, so this spelt the end of Mitanni and Egyptian um, friendship, if you like. And what happened next was that the Egyptians won out and occupied all of those lands of the Levant, um, and this prevented the Mitanni from having their link to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, interestingly enough, this would spark off another political alliance of sorts. So, while the Mitanni were expanding, they also managed to subjugate the lands of Assyria, uh, which was an empire that had fallen on hard times and maybe suffered as a result of the trade disruptions that had been caused possibly by the volcanic eruption of Thera. And the Mitanni had stepped in and subjugated Assyria. So the Assyrians were now subject and had been absorbed into what we might call the Mitanni Empire. Now the Assyrians within the Mitanni um, Empire approached the Egyptians looking for some kind of alliance. 
and this would make sense now that the Mitanni would be an enemy of the Egyptians. So although we can really see that the Mitanni were a strong and uh, influential empire throughout the, the uh, 15th century BCE, that the Assyrians never really quite integrated into the Mitanni and still yearned for independence and independent rule and were quite happy to make diplomatic relationships outside of Mitanni authorisation. Now, once again, the balance of powers between nations turned politics on its head again. And it, now that it looked like the Hittites were now recovering from their lull in fortunes, they themselves had started to make a threat to the Mitanni lands and the Egyptian lands along the Levantine coast. So now the Mitanni and the Egyptians had a common problem. So there were political marriages that took place and this wasn't uncommon during this period anyway and as a means to try and stand up against the expanding Hittites. So really it had become kind of like a, a type of Game of Thrones where war and diplomacy was the way to secure your dominance and to suppress your enemy from becoming too dominant. Now, entering into the 14th century BCE, and it is a bit sketchy what happened, exactly what happened, because we don't really have a great deal to go on and those written texts have to be compared to each other. But what we do know is that the Mitanni kingdom was certainly not as powerful as it had been previously. And the Hittites had managed to, um, you know, somewhat to some degree, subjugate the Mitanni uh, it may have been under the Hittite king Tudhalia. Uh, we're really not sure. However, this did enable the Assyrians to rebel from within the Mitanni kingdom. And ultimately, the Assyrians were able to sort of wrestle back some kind of power and independence. So they really become autonomous. The Mitanni kingdom still existed to some degree. There were still Mitanni kings, but by now they were very much in the shadow of the giants to their northwest, the Hittites, and now the emerging Assyrian Empire once again had um, managed to get autonomy from the Mitanni and were no longer uh, subject to them. In fact, the balance was now going the other way. Going right forward now into the 13th century BCE, that fateful last century before the Bronze Age collapse, and we can now see that the Hittite Empire and the Assyrian Empire were very much at their heights of their strength for that era. And the Mitanni was just simply squashed in the middle and completely had lost any kind of rule or um, any kind of dominance of the area whatsoever. Now it was really just a memory um, in terms of its remnants now pretty much subject to and within the empires of the Hittites and the Assyrians. So really a short-lived empire, we don't, or we don't really know a huge amount about it, but that's really its timeline. It sort of lasted for a couple of hundred years, and during its, uh, during its heyday it was very much a big player in the diplomatic affairs of the Near East, with the royal houses intermarrying with the, the big players. So that is the Mitanni. 
um, and very, very important part of Near East history. And that's the story in an unscripted fashion. So um, hopefully we've sort of given them a bit of time and attention, which they deserved. And uh, now my job is to try and find somebody else that deserves a bit of time and attention and wasn't covered in volume two. However, if you have any ideas of a kingdom that we just touched upon briefly, didn't really devote enough time to, and you want to know a little bit more about them, drop me a line or send me a message. Simply contact me on the social media forums. Drop me a line at historyoftheworldpodcast.mail.com. Um, get in touch with me. Let me know what you want to hear about while we're preparing the new volume three of the History of the World podcast. So a couple of shout outs to um, two people who've recommended the History of the World podcast on Facebook. Neil Long has written that the podcast is enjoyable and easy to follow. The narrator covers all people groups of the world starting with Indo-European. Thank you very much, Neil. And uh, Jim McSpirit, who has uh, since become a patron of the the podcast. So thank you very much, Jim. Has written very good content, well organised and understandable. An excellent podcast and I am only on volume one, episode 12. So you may not hear my thanks for a few few weeks yet, but um, nonetheless worth reading out. Now, John Pruce also wrote something on the page saying, I enjoy the hell out of this show. Fun, informative, thought-provoking. It's great. My question is, who is the host? I'm not suspicious of anyone's qualifications, but I do wonder what they are. Obviously a pretty bright guy. Don't Listen, don't believe the hype. Great job and keep up the good work. Really outstanding. It's a very kind um, and um, you know very complimentary message you've sent there, John. I've since um, written an about me page on the History of the World podcast website. I tend to be a little bit humble. I, I can't help it. It's just my nature when it comes to um, broadcasting the podcast. I really didn't want the podcast to be about me. I wanted it to be about the stories of our past because I think that's what's truly interesting. However, a lot of people ask who I am, and I thought it would be correct just to put an About Me page on the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website. So it's just like a brief page just saying who I am. And um, while I was writing it, I was like reflecting on the fact that I didn't get qualified at a young age to talk on these subjects, but really... A lot of my experience has been gained from reading and travelling and that kind of thing. So I remember someone commented on one of the History of the World podcast YouTube videos. Uh, Basically, the essence of the message was to say, um, what kind of qualifications have you got to be able to talk on these subjects? Um, So they were basically sort of accusing me of not having... The qualifications to talk on these subjects and maybe I don't but one of the replies that was given I thought was absolutely brilliant where someone on my behalf actually countered that comment by saying well who are you and how qualified are you to ask how qualified this narrator is and I thought well do you know what that's absolutely it's probably about right really isn't it it's you know you don't necessarily have to be qualified to talk about these subjects you just have to have the desire and knowledge and um, the research behind you 
and I think you can talk on these subjects and I think any of us can do it and any of us should be invited to take part and we do have a History of the World podcast forum which I really do want to hear your points of view on uh, if you do enjoy the podcast consider making a donation on the Patreon page that can be found through the History of the World podcast website and uh, if you are unable to do that then please do rate and review the podcast wherever you find it that's it i'm going to sign off for another week now thank you very much for listening um i really don't know what's going to be coming next week i have to also apologize i've broadcast this episode a little bit late i've just been a little bit busy this week but i've still managed to do it and i will uh hope that you don't mind the delay in the publication of this episode Next week, I'm not really sure what we're going to be talking about yet, but I will keep you up to date with what's going on in the History of the World podcast website and in the History of the World podcast world. Until next week, have a fantastic week, everyone, and we'll speak again in seven days. The History of the World podcast is available on many different podcast platforms. So please, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you find us. Visit our website at historyoftheworldpodcast.com and email us at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com Support the podcast at Patreon by clicking the Support the Podcast link at our website and join us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr.